Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, it's Heather, and I want to remind you about our very special tours to the UK. In 2017, we'll be doing tours focusing on the Evensong experience. The Evensong service comes from Cranmer's Book of Common Prayer from the mid-16th century. It's been dubbed the atheist's favorite service because it requires so little and it gives so much. It's simply divine choral music sung in some of the most historic chapels, abbeys, and cathedrals in England. We'll be spending 10 days visiting places like Cambridge, Oxford, Bath, the Cotswolds, Winchester, and Windsor with walking tours, free time to explore, and then gathering back each afternoon for the Evensong service if you choose to attend. It will be 10 days of beautiful countryside, historic cities and villages, and so, so much music. I invite you to go to englandcast.com slash tours for full itinerary and pricing information. Again, englandcast, E-N-G-L-A-N-D-C-A-S-T, englandcast.com slash tours. Thanks so much, and now to the show. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, and this is episode 45, and it is another joint episode with Melita Thomas of Tudor Times. This is the second joint episode that we've done, and I'm really looking forward to doing a great deal more with original content and podcasts with them. Just a quick admin note that the Renaissance English History Podcast is a proud member of the Agora Podcast Network, and the Agora Podcast of the Month is actually a collection of podcasts from a group called Podcastnik. They produce The Secret Cabinet, History of Germany, Bohemican, lots of other great history podcasts. Check it out at http colon slash slash www.podcastnik.com podcastnik, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-N-I-C, podcastnik.com. And as always, you can get show notes and more information about the Renaissance English History Podcast at http colon slash slash www.englingcast.com. Or for this episode about Jasper Tudor, you can also go to tutortimes.co.uk. So englingcast.com or tutortimes.co.uk. So now that I have read you like 8 million different URLs, let's get on with the show. Melita Thomas is the co-founder and editor of Tudor Times, a website devoted to Tudor and Stuart history in the period between 1485 to 1625. 
You can find it at tudortimes.co.uk. Melita, who has always been fascinated by history ever since she saw the 1970s series Elizabeth R. with Glenda Jackson, also contributes articles to BBC History Extra and Britain Magazine. So tell me a little bit about Jasper's life. Jasper was born almost, but not quite royal. His parents were Catherine de Valois, who was the widowed queen of Henry V, and her second husband, Owen Tudor. And there was a good deal of scandal attaching to that marriage, as Owen was not only a member of the Queen's household, but also a Welshman and subject to very severe legal restrictions in England. So there was a, a lot of secrecy surrounding Jasper's birth. But fortunately for Jasper, his half-brother, uh, Queen Catherine's son, was king, obviously, Henry VI. But he was also a very kind and generous man. And he supported his mother's second family. And Jasper and his brother Edmund received large estates, earldoms, and a wealthy heiress's award. And Jasper repaid this generosity by his lifelong loyalty to Henry VI, Henry's wife and son, and later to the son of the woman Henry had bestowed on his brother as a bride, the king's cousin, Margaret Beaufort. So I think what we can say about Jasper is he... He knew how to repay generosity, and he was a loyal and committed friend to his his family. And he was he fought throughout the Wars of the Roses. He was present at the beginning and at the end, right? So he was was he um, considered to be kind of a a good military leader, or was he just really? He had great wits about him as, as well, didn't he? he? He certainly had great wits about him. I think it's a, a, perhaps a moot point about his actual military skill in open battles. Now, it is assumed he was actually at both the first Battle of St Albans and at Bosworth itself, but there's no absolutely definite proof he was at either battle. It just seems the most likely place for him to have been, obviously, particularly at Bosworth, you'd have expected him to be there. The battles he fought in, other than Bosworth, were not actually particularly successful. The first battle of St Albans, the Lancastrians lost. Then the only battle where we know Jasper actually commanded was Mortimer's Cross in 1461, where he was very heavily defeated. He didn't make it to Tewkesbury, and Bosworth, of course, was, was a great victory, but it was mainly down to the Earl of Oxford, who was the overall commander. Where Jasper's military skill seems to have been was in siege warfare and guerrilla warfare. He conducted a very successful campaign to capture Denby Castle from the Yorkists, uh, the only person to actually ever capture that castle by, by a siege. And he spent most of the 1460s conducting guerrilla warfare. He would come into Hardlach Castle from France or Brittany or various other places where he was looking for support and do a bit of raiding and uh, generally have a, a damaging effect on, on Yorkist castles in, in Wales. And then he'd disappear again. So more of a more of a guerrilla warrior than a, a, a an open battle kind of a chap. So why should we know about him? Jasper's claim to fame really is that if it were not for him, it's highly unlikely that Henry Tudor would ever have even got to the field at Bosworth, let alone won the battle. After the Lancastrians had been defeated at Tewkesbury and Jasper's older nephew, Edward of Lancaster, had been killed, the young Henry Tudor became the only possible 
heir to the Lancastrian claim to the throne. So Jasper supported him. He took him into exile. Henry was only 14. And presumably through those years supported him morally, if not, you know, if, even if he couldn't support him financially or in any other way. And then when the time came for Henry to invade, it was into Jasper's old lands of the Earldom of Pembroke that they they sailed directly there. And Jasper's relationships with the local nobility and gentry had lasted long enough, even through exile, for Henry to actually get a toehold into Wales and enabled him to raise enough of an army to invade and win at Bosworth. If Jasper hadn't had friends in Wales, it's very likely that Henry would have just been captured and come to a sticky end. But early on, didn't he seem, when it was all just beginning, didn't he seem kind of willing to work with Warwick and with the Yorkists? I guess that was down to just, at the time, it wasn't as if they were trying to position themselves as actually taking the throne but it seemed as if he he wanted to be on good working terms with Warwick. And then even later when Warwick came to to France, he seemed willing to try and broker deals. Uh, A, is that true? And B, what do you think made him change his mind and kind of stay so loyal to Lancaster throughout his life? I think you're right that he was perhaps of a conciliating nature and certainly his nephew, Henry VII, was and Henry VI was as well. So all three, all three Henrys were seemed inclined to working with people rather than instantly going for for battles. It was definitely apparent to everyone in the 1450s, even to Jasper and, and his brother Edmund, that despite his best intentions, Henry VI was, was an absolutely hopeless king. And his queen, Marguerite of Anjou, she was not a, a good queen in the sense that she was very, very divisive. So most of the nobles of the 1440s and 50s, they wanted Henry's government to continue, but to improve. And if that could be done by giving York authority, they were they were willing to support that. And I think that's where Jasper was in his relations with York. He wanted to see better government and less of the very factional state of affairs that was leading to the government being broke, more or less. And increasing unrest. I think the problems then arose when it became clear that there was no way of of compromising, really, because a number of York supporters were equally factional, same, same as Queen Marguerite, and they wanted to take perhaps more power than was their fair share. But there was also long-standing rivalries between York and Somerset, Warwick, Salisbury and Northumberland were at daggers drawn, Eventually, it became apparent that there was no, there was no middle way. And Jasper, you know, when he was forced to choose, he supported his brother, his half brother, and he never deviated from that, not once. And that loyalty, of course, made him a fugitive more than once. And he spent a lot of time in exile in various forms, the long exile and short periods. How do you think all of that affected him? I think that's a really interesting psychological question. I, I think he's a very interesting character psychologically. I, I think one of the things that Exile did was you know, make him very self-reliant because there were times when he 
had to escape very swiftly, possibly in disguise, or sounds very romantic, disguised as a peasant. He'd have had to be able to just walk away from any anything that that held him back. Insofar as everyday life is concerned, it probably prevented him marrying. He hadn't married in the late 1450s when he might have been expected to, possibly because there weren't suitable candidates, perhaps Henry VI not being a particularly vigorous king hadn't arranged anything. So once he was in exile, it pretty much became impossible to to marry a woman of his own rank. You know, nobody was going to marry their daughter to a man who was penniless and roaming around the courts of Europe, you know, trying to raise money and troops. So that probably affected him. He probably, I think, I, I think he was somebody who had a very a very focused character. I can imagine that in a previous age, he might have been a crusader. I think he liked having a cause and was one of those people who would follow that cause wherever it led him. Very single-minded, focused. It's an interesting, interesting question. Perhaps if he'd lived longer, he would have got bored (laughs) of uh, safety. So he essentially is the reason why Henry Tudor was able to to come to the throne, what was his relationship like with Henry Tudor? Were they close? I would say yes and, well, yes yes and no. I think Jasper was extremely protective of his nephew. He knew him when he was a baby, but when Henry was about four, he was put into the guardianship of William Harbert, who was the Yorkist Earl of Pembroke. And Jasper didn't then see him for more or less 10 years. But then... Once they were reunited after the Battle of Tewkesbury, Jasper was obviously very protective. He took Henry into exile with him in Brittany, protecting him from any possible Yorkist revenge. But they weren't together all the time in Brittany. They were separated at different points uh, so that Brittany could make the most of, of having two possible hostages. I think it's likely that that they probably corresponded and met, but they wouldn't necessarily spend a huge amount of time together. But Henry clearly was very, very grateful to Jasper. He rewarded him very richly, uh, gave him a dukedom, a wealthy wife, honours. He carried the king's crown at the coronation. So I think affectionate, respectful and grateful was Henry. And perhaps Henry was the son that Jasper never had. Of course, the the woman behind a lot of this was Lady Margaret Beaufort with um, you know, sending some money and um, helping to to plot, I suppose. What was his relationship like with Lady Margaret? Uh, well, that's that's the great romantic question, isn't it? I know there's there's been a lot of speculation that Jasper was in love with his sister-in-law. But to me, that seems highly unlikely. And there's certainly no no evidence for it. And the reasons I think it was unlikely, well, Margaret was only 12 when she married Jasper's brother, and he was around 23 or 24. Now, obviously not impossible that people of that age gap would fall in love, but it isn't that likely a 24-year-old man would would become romantically attached to a 12-year-old. A couple of years later, when she was widowed, he arranged her marriage to Henry Stafford very, very promptly. He didn't make any attempts to keep... Margaret with him. So we could infer from that that he he was fond of her as his sister-in-law and obviously his ward and he wanted to be safe and happy but I don't think you can draw anything romantic from that. Then he wouldn't have seen a great deal of her till 
1470. So that's another, you know, 12 years later when he and Henry spent a week with Margaret once when the Lancastrians came back into, into power. I suppose they could have become attached to each other. I just don't think it's very likely. I think if we want to find a love interest, I'd have said a far more likely candidate would be his other sister-in-law, Marguerite of Anjou. And there isn't any evidence, but to me, it seems more likely. They, they were the same age. She was a glamorous foreign princess, married when she was about 14 or 15 to Henry VI, who clearly wasn't that interested in, what should we say, his marital duties. Jasper and Marguerite spent a lot of time together. He was with her in exile for many years, served her faithfully. So I don't know what his feelings were, but I'd have thought psychologically it seems more likely he, if he had an attachment to one of his sister-in-laws that it was Marguerite of Anjou. So he had a he had a lot of kind of rises and falls in his lifetime. The whole wheel of fortune sometimes had him at the very top, and then he was at the very bottom. Another psychological question: How do you think that kind of shaped who he was and his commitment? He was, like you said, he was very loyal. He never wavered from this commitment to the Lancastrians or his loyalty. Um, how do you think? What do you think it must have been like for him having these ups and downs all the time? Well, I, I think we can confidently say that he wasn't a quitter, and I think that was probably the keynote of his character: the very, the deep commitment to a cause. I, I wonder if after a while it almost became exciting. You know, did it was he was he perhaps an adrenaline junkie? Did he really need to do some of the some of the things that he did? As w- one of the examples is Bamborough Castle, which was under siege from the Yorkists with some Lancastrians inside. Jasper wasn't there initially, but he managed to smuggle himself into the besieged castle. And you think, well, you know, that that really does seem a, a quite an extreme piece of behaviour. Perhaps the the excitement of it, and the and he found it difficult to to live a normal life. Maybe how would those sorts of things affect you? You would probably become, again, as I, I said before, probably very self reliant. You wouldn't trust people very much. You'd perhaps be careful not to form emotional ties with people, and possibly seeing that he might he's a bit of a like a bit of a James Bond sort of a character though perhaps without romantic interests, but, you know, forever jumping off a mountain somewhere or climbing Everest. So he seems to have had more escapes and luck than any one person should have in their lifetime. He's like a cat with nine lives. Was it just because he was just really smart? Was Did he have really good people around him? What do you attribute to this streak of luck that he had? I think, I think he was somebody who would seize the opportunity. I think perhaps perhaps he was a natural actor. There's certainly one story that seems probably true, that he escaped, I think it's from Hardlach Castle, disguised as a, a countryman, carrying a bag of straw, some peace cods. And perhaps that's how he got into Bamborough Castle as well. So maybe maybe he was just very good at disguising himself and he would take risks. I think he was a risk taker. And people who take risks are very often lucky. You know, they they seize the moment. They they come up with an idea and they think, yeah, let's let's just go with that. I'm sure he had good people around him, and he certainly must have inspired loyalty to have the reaction when he and Henry landed in 1485 that he was not betrayed by anybody. He did garner support as they marched through Wales. So yeah, so yeah, definitely a, a bit of a James Bond, I think. 
Why do you think he's not remembered more than he than he is? I think possibly because he didn't have children. So he died in 1495, obviously by Henry VII, but Henry's children were too young to remember him. Henry VIII was only four at the time of Jasper's death. He had no children to carry on the title or to be cousins to the to the new king. And he didn't ever really seem to do any of this for himself. It was very much about first supporting Henry VI, then Edward of Lancaster, and then Henry VII. He didn't seem to be wanting the limelight himself, unlike perhaps the Earl of Warwick, who did seem to have rather a, a sort of personal interest in the whole thing. Jasper seemed to be doing it for the wider cause. Uh, he hasn't left any monuments. He did some building at Pembroke and at Tenby, but he didn't va- build vast amounts of buildings that we can see around. His widow remarried very quickly. And yes, he seems to have been forgotten quite soon. There's there's a bit of a resurgence of interest in him, possibly because of some of the fiction, that there have been three biographies out of him recently. And he's, you know, he, perhaps he's coming into his own at last. And where can people go to learn more about him? What are some of the resources you recommend? There's a very nice biography of him by a chap called Terry Breverton, a Jasper Tudor dynasty maker that uh, is is definitely interesting. There isn't a lot of uh, good academic research on him, or not that I've been able to to come across. There's a couple of other biographies, but I think the Breverton one is the best. But other than that, he just sort of pops up as a bit part in other people's biographies. So, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's Dan Jones, The Hollow Crown covers him to a degree. And Chris Skidmore's book, Bosworth, that gives him a fair outing. But there isn't a lot out there. Is there anything else you'd like to say about him that I haven't asked? I think we've covered him. For me, he's a bit of an unsung hero, and I think I think perhaps a lone wolf. <laughs> Thank you again to Melita Thomas for taking the time to tell us all about Jasper Tudor. For more information on Jasper, you can go to www.tudortimes.co.uk, or you can also see the resources available on the England Cast site at www.englandcast.com. Thanks so much, and I will be talking to you again in about two weeks, and we're going to talk about Shakespeare, more on the theater and Shakespeare. So I'll be talking with you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Blow northern wind, send for baby sweating.